Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and this is Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Your home for engaging conversations about the topics that matter most in our culture. If you love nuance, if you want to better understand different points of view, if you're tired of the screamers taking all the oxygen out of the room, if you'll enjoy edifying, provocative, and fun conversations among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me, you love talking politics and religion without killing each other. Thanks for spending some time with us. Enjoy today's show. Okay, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. I'm your host, along with co-host and my dad, Ronnie Nathan. Hiya, Pop. Good to see you. How you doing? Hey, Kua. Doing well. <laughs> good, good. And we are co-produced by my pal, Tristan Drew. And as always, if you like the show, please hit that subscribe button. Leave a review and comments on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And give us a shout on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. Without further ado, today is the second installment of our series, The Folks of Our Town, which we started last week with Aaron Bender, which is a mutual friend of our, our guest today. Uh, again, the point of the series is to highlight the interesting people we have right here in our neighborhood. Our very own neighbors have interesting stories to tell, and our guest today certainly does. The other reason we're doing this is the members of our community also have a voice. And unfortunately, many of the forums where those voices are meant to be heard are being dominated by the screamers, as I sometimes refer to them, which today's guest is definitely not one of those screamers, but might have heard or even been the target of at our local town hall on occasion these days. So in this series on talking politics and religion, we get to hear the voices of the folks of our town who aren't screamers, but are good neighbors that have really interesting stories to tell, like our guest today. The mayor of our town, a really wonderful person and someone I feel fortunate to call a friend, Mayor Bill Miranda. Mayor Bill, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about being on your show, especially with your dad. Uh, terrific. Terrific. Yeah. So uh, it turns out that you and my dad are from the, the same old country, New York. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what part of the city did you grow up in? I, I grew up in Harlem in, in Manhattan and um, was around Hamilton Heights, Morningside Heights, Washington Heights, basically the Heights. Okay. So, Bill, I have a really important question. Here we go. Are you old enough to have been a Giant fan? Absolutely. Are you kidding? The Giants were my life growing up. We had, you remember, Ron, we had three major league baseball teams and between 1947 and uh, I'm aging myself between 1947 and 1958, one of them pretty much won every single world series. So that, that was awesome. That was the, the golden age of baseball for us kids. Right. My, my first game was 1954 at Ebbets field. Call our wow. no hitter. How about the, that? Against the Giants. Who pitched it? Carl Erskine pitched a no-hitter against the New York and against the New York Giants. I still hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Not as much no, as the Yankees. No, no, no. But I, I, I have to tell you a quick story. It, Corey, you know, do whatever you want with this, but I gotta tell this quick story. So in 1951, there was a three-game playoff between the Dodgers and the Giants. So the shot hit around the world. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the end of the world for you. But so, <laughs> so uh, my father was a huge Giant fan, and I was a kid growing up, and I was a Giant fan. We were so passionate about it. The Giants win the first game at Everett's Field, right? So we don't know that there's going to be a third game. So we go to the second game. My father says, you know, I was wanting to get tickets for the third game, but since the Giants won the first game, there may not be a third game. Let's go to the second game. The second game that we go to, now, mind you, I'm a kid. I'm excited. I, I'm prone to crying if things don't go my way. Clem Labine, 10 nothing shutout against my Giants. And I'm there crying probably from the fifth inning on. I mean, crying real tears. <laughs> <laughs> so so that was uh, that was a kick in the pants. And then the next game, the Giants won on the famous uh, 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 Bobby Thompson home run. And so there was joy in, in, in Mudville, if you will, at the end of it. But, but I, what I remember most is that second game that we attended and I spent – I don't know, four innings crying in the stands. <laughs> <That's terrific. laughs> I'm sorry, Corey. I wait. That's okay. I, I love I, it. I got your, your, your podcast. I love it. I love it. I was going to ask you about New York sports. So are you still uh, a Giants fan or have you adapted the? Uh... No, 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 no. We switched over and became Mets fans because, uh, you know, we're New York. We, we were New York fans. I knew I liked you for a reason. (laughs) Yeah. When, when the giants and, and, and Dodgers left, and by the way, I blame, I blame your Dodgers for taking my giants because I think my giants would have stayed. uh, But the Dodgers insisted that the giants go with them. And uh, it's such a deal. The Dodgers get Chavez Ravine and all kinds of support from Los Angeles and the giants get a, a, a wind-filled stadium <laughs> in nowhere land in Northern California and almost ruins a franchise, but that's another story. Uh, anyway, New York Rangers. That a boy. Yeah. New York Mets. All right. Uh, here's where, here's where the, there's going to be a little pain coming your way. Corey. No, nope. get ready for a little pain. I think I'm going the same way as you, my brother, not so much, but are you going to say giants? No, I'm, I'm going to go to basketball. Oh, basketball. Okay. Now, how could I hurt you the most if I tell you what team I root for? Oh, boy. Um, well. Let me give you a hint. Oh, wait. I can't, I can't see the shirt. What? Boston Celtics. Oh, the Celtics. How did you become a Celtics fan? Because they won all the, all the championships in the 60s? All right. I, well, I got to give you a quick story. I, okay. I'm full of stories. If you got the time, I got the stories. Yeah, please. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. In the old days... And, and Ronald, remember, television was not anywhere near what it is today. HD, are you kidding? Uh, we, had, we had snow on the screen. We had vertical lines on the screen, horizontal lines on the screen. And once in a while, we'd have a screen that you could actually see, <laughs> right? And the size of the television when I was growing up was 12 or 14 inch if you were rich. We okay. had a magnifying glass on top of it. Right. <laughs> right. And so so I'm watching, quote unquote, the New York Knicks play the Boston Celtics and I'm 12 years old. OK. Right? And I'm trying to watch this. I'm squinting and everything. And I'm talking about this kid from Brooklyn. This kid from oh, Brooklyn. Red, who could Red Auerbach. Left, 
hang on, he can dribble with his left, he can dribble with his right, he can dribble behind his back, he can shoot, he's an all-star, and he's from Brooklyn, and his name is Bob Cousy. Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> so I'm thinking Bob Cousy plays for the Knicks. Right, he's from Brooklyn. He yeah. has to be playing for the Knicks, and I can't see because I got snow, I got vertical, I got horizontals, the whole bit, right? And I don't have the magnifying glass, and I but I do have the twelve-inch TV screen. So I'm thinking he's from Brooklyn. I become a Bob Cousy fan just on that television game. How about that? Right. So about a week or two or three later, whenever it was, friend of mine in junior high school says, hey, Bob Cousy's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And I go, great, can you get the magazine for me? He says, yeah, I got it at home. He brings it the next day. There's Bob Cousy on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and it says Celtics. <laughs> <laughs> but it was too late. So too late. I was in love. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bill, how, how, did, how did a New York boy like you become mayor of Santa Clarita? Oh, my God. Long story. Long story. By the way, I, I, I first went into politics in uh, 1960 when I was active in college uh, supporting or trying to support uh, John F. Kennedy for the presidency. Uh, what we liked about that was that he was young compared to Eisenhower, who was older. Uh, and so, so, and I grew up, my family grew up, we were all, we were all Democrats, uh, and many of them still are, uh, long story. We'll get to that in a minute, <laughs> but, but that's how I got interested in, in politics. And then, and then I left New York in, uh, in 1970, I came out to California. Uh, I worked for IBM at the time, I got transferred. I, I had the MGM account. I was the account rep for MGM corporate in New York and Manhattan and MGM corporate moved their headquarters to Culver city. And when they did, I came along with them to handle their IBM computer systems. And when, uh, when I arrived here, I was too, too much a Mets fan and too much a Celtic fan and, and, uh, Oh, and a New York Giants football fan. Yeah. Yep. I forgot that. I forgot that. I'm sorry. And a New York Times football fan. And, and that's basically where I still am today. Although now I now I really like the Dodgers. I've forgiven, <laughs> I've forgiven because Horace Stoneham and his gang are out of here. So I've forgiven the Dodgers. You know, it took a while, 40 years, but <laughs> I finally for, forgive all the Dodgers. And I am a Dodger fan now. And I love that Tre Trevor Bauer is now with the Dodgers. Isn't that cool? Yeah, yeah. Trevor Bauer is a heart heart high or uh heart high. Yeah. Heart high. Yeah. Well, I, I had a question for you before we move to California. Um, and forgive me if I don't pronounce it correctly. Palante, siempre, siempre palante. Palante, siempre palante. So so the correct Spanish is para lante. Para lante. Go forward. Okay. okay. Para lante, para lante. But my mother's Puerto Rican, as my father's Puerto Rican, uh, and my mother, Puerto Ricans tend to cut words a little short and sometimes a lot short. <laughs> so paralante in my house was palante. Okay. Okay. So we always talked about forward, forward, always go forward. Uh, and that was my mother's mantra. She yeah. basically said, you know what, if you want to get become successful in life and, and get anywhere you want to get in life, you got to move forward. 
You have to uh, overcome challenges and not not dwell on all the things you don't have, but think about the things you want to have and figure out a way to get them. And once you figure out a way to get them, palante, palante, siempre palante. Forward, yeah. forward, always forward. And what she's basically saying or what she was saying was focus on focus on the end game. Focus on the end game and, and figure out how to get there. One way or another, figure out how to get there. Never stop striving. Right. And that's a creed that you've uh, you've adapted and, and hold on tight to to this day. It sounds like your mom had a really big impact on you and three brothers and two sisters. Is that right? I, I actually had four brothers and two sisters. OK. Okay. Yeah, there were seven of us. Where where were you in that line? Are you the baby? Or are you where are you? I'm next to last. Oh, how I'm that? next to last. Uh, actually, the the first five are uh, half brothers uh, on my mother's side, and then then there's me, my father's first child, and then my daughter came after me four years later, uh, my father's second child. But my father basically raised all seven of us, and. Uh, Big family. Yeah, yeah. And now you also had a really uh, long educational background. You did Air Force. Uh, f- how, how long were you in the Air Force? And then how'd you fit in all that schooling? Your master's degree and you, you were working toward your doctorate. How did you fit all that in? Not easy. Not <laughs> easy. So, <laughs> so I, I, I went into the, uh, after junior high school in Harlem, I went to a military school in New Jersey, in a, a small town called Bordentown, New Jersey, south of Trenton. Okay. Exit seven on the New Jersey Turnpike. Yeah. And I spent three years there in, in, in military school. So, so just think about this. I go to junior high school in one of the toughest junior high schools in Manhattan. And, and maybe in the city, I don't know, but certainly in Manhattan. Uh, in Harlem and everybody there looks like me or almost like me, pretty much everybody. Then I go to military school and only one person looks like me. Oh wait, that was me. (laughs) (laughs) So talk about culture shock. Uh, And it was a culture shock. It was a, a big challenge. It was a challenge for, some of the three years, the first year, of course, was was harder than 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 the other two, uh, mainly because number one, you have to get used to the military and the structured life versus the street life, the city street life, the stickball, the handball, the the box ball. The, Why did your parents choose to send you to military school? Uh, I don't think they had a choice. <laughs> I, think, I I think I had uh, I had painted myself into a corner in junior high school where uh, by the time I graduated junior high school was headed toward the the local high school, which was George Washington High School. uh, There were enough people, as they used to say, waiting for me uh, that it was a little scary. Now, I, I, I was a pretty tough kid. okay, and I could handle stuff and I had handled stuff. But uh, in the middle of the summer, after I graduated junior high and before I got to George Washington High School, there was a major stabbing, Michael Farmer stabbing 
in Highbridge, New York, which is part of the Heights, if you will. And some of those kids involved in the stabbing were kids that were waiting for me to get to high school. So it was, it was kind of a, a decision that I had to make. Uh, I don't know that my parents were very much involved in it, to be honest with you, uh, because I just said, I'm not going over there. I'm not going to GW, George Washington. I'm not going to George Washington High School. That's it. You know, I need to get out of here. And uh, I found a way to get to military school. Long story. I won't burden with you that right now. But I got to military school. Uh, a lot of people helped pay for it. It was a, a lot of family funding. It wasn't just my parents. My parents didn't have that kind of money. Uh, but it was aunts and uncles and, you know, whatever. And, and uh, uh, a, a bit of scholarship and, and some good, good neighbors, if you will, uh, that all contributed Plus, the school was very kind and generous to me. The, the, the headmaster of the school was was fantastic. And then the, the senior faculty member that that kind of looked over me and, and guided me through this whole thing was fantastic. And the only bad parts were, you know, kids will be kids, and especially in military school. A lot of those kids come from different backgrounds, let's call it that way. And, uh, you know, they see this little dark-skinned kid joining the crowd, and they, and they let them know that they think he's a little dark-skinned kid. And, uh, you know, and sometimes you, you let it roll, roll down your back and don't do anything about it. And sometimes, you know, Ron, you know this, sometimes you got to put up your dukes. Right. And we got to that point several times during my, my first year, in, in military school and, and uh, but, but we got past it. And then my, my second year, uh, my first year, I was you know, basically a private, uh, but my second year I was a sergeant. I got promoted to sergeant. I'm a good, good guy. You know, I'm, I'm behaving myself. I'm, I'm reconstructed as, I, I went from being Willie in, in junior high school and, and all my life until that point, I was Willie. My parents called me Willie. Everybody called me Willie. My best friends called me Willie. Uh, when I got to military school, I decided Willie wasn't going to cut it. I had to be Bill, you know, because Bill sounded like a little more mature, a little more with it or something. I don't know. I just didn't want to be Willie anymore. Uh, so I went from being Willie to being Bill. And uh, no, Again, culture shock, absolute culture shock. So my second year, I'm a sergeant. Now, a lot of people don't like, first of all, a lot of people didn't like the fact that I was there, but I, a lot of people sure as heck didn't like the fact that I was a leader, you know? And, and so if you don't like the fact that I'm there and all of a sudden you find yourself in a position where, where I'm your superior uh, uh, ranked person in in the military school man you really don't like that especially if you're a big six foot two football player weighing 220 pounds which at that time 220 pounds was a big lineman in high school now it's nothing now yeah. you're lucky if you play linebacker yeah but at that time it was a big big lineman in high school so so yeah <laughs> it, it was it, it was a challenge did some of those experiences really form 
your view of, of your identity and then lead you ultimately? Because you've done a lot of work, especially with uh, small Latino owned businesses. Is that, are those, are those early experiences what fed you and, and led you ultimately to, to the work that you've been doing? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I just know what it's like to be the underdog. I know what it's like to be told, you know, you're not going to get there. Right. I, I, I joined IBM and I was told, Hey, you're lucky to be here. You know, there are only a few people like you that, you know, I can show you pictures of my, see, IBM has a lot of schools that you have to go to. Uh, that are mandatory. And these schools generally have anywhere between 40 and 100 students. And they're all college graduates from all over the country. They come together for these classes. Well, I can show you pictures uh, that I have in my album somewhere where they take the class pictures and you can find me in half a second. (laughs) Okay, because everybody else looked the same and I I stood out. So, So it was a very big challenge to get accepted in the military. It was a very big challenge to get accepted in the corporate world. And I'm talking about IBM at a time when IBM didn't really mix and mingle. I'm talking about Xerox. When Xerox was making the transition from not mixing and mingling to mixing and mingling, they came up with affirmative action and things like that. That was super. I was part of that that movement, if you will. I was part of the 60s movement, not, not active, uh, like some of the, the, the major players in that movement were, but I was, I, I was still, you know, I was still very young and, and, and I am, I, I, I identify as Latino. I'm a, I'm a mutt. Okay. I'm a, I'm a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but I, I, I grew up and identify as Latino. So, uh, part of that movement was Latino, but most of it was African-American, uh, so I wasn't as active in that movement as I later became with the Latino movement here in Santa Clarita. So what do I mean by that? Well, I started uh, consulting small businesses with the Small Business Development Center. That's the one that that's now at uh, the University Center uh, at College of the Canyons. And so I would consult with a lot of business. And since I was the only bilingual on that team, I consulted all the Latino businesses that came for help. And I realized that they didn't have a place to get support. The the Chamber of Commerce at that time was not very welcoming to these small Latino businesses who could barely pay the dues. Yeah. (laughs) And here the chamber had at that time about 1500 members and very, very, very few of them were Latino small businesses. So I was helping Latino small businesses. And over time, there were just so many of them that I decided, uh, and not by myself, I had some help. uh, I decided to, to start the Latino chamber of commerce to help these smaller Latino businesses. Go ahead, Ron. Can I ask you a question? Because I find this fascinating. Um, Corey, I live in Santa Clarita half the year in the wintertime, and we go back to New York. We have a place there, um, which is my primary residence. Um, 
up uh, in the mountains, uh, in the uh, Lower Hudson Valley. But you're a Republican. And in the course of this conversation, you talked about two things that Republicans, when they talk about it, they demonize it. You talked about affirmative action in a positive way. And, yeah. you, talk, and you talked about systemic racism in terms of Latino businesses not having access to things like credit and um, mutual support from the business community and stuff like that. That's very unusual for Republican to be talking about in a positive way. Well, I'm an unusual Republican. <laughs> I'm a moderate. Uh, if the Democratic Party had been, you know, the Democratic Party that I knew growing up and, and well into my, my adult years, I'd probably still be a Democrat. But they left. They went, they went so far left, I, you know, I just couldn't go there. Uh, the Republican Party, for me, is where Latinos need to be. Uh, and, and what the Republican Party also needs to realize that the far right super conservative movement is not where the country is. And if you want to be a party that is impactful, if you want to help move the needle back to what, what I call more realistic political positions, then you have to know and understand where the Latinos are. You have to know and understand where the African-Americans are. You have to know and understand where women are, where seniors are, where veterans are. What's the problem with the homeless and how are you going to solve that? And the answer to all these problems is not, no, I, we don't want to spend money. No, we don't want to do anything. And just whine and whine and whine about how wrong everything is. The answer is to figure out how to make things better. That's the answer, how to work together. You know, when, when, when the other side doesn't want to reach across the aisle, and, and, and think about this. Here's something, and, and I hope you get him on, on, on your podcast, if you haven't already. Scott Wilk. Oh, yeah. We, we talked to Scott uh, in early in January. I, okay. I love Scott. So Scott Wilk is now the majority leader of the Republican Party in the state Senate. Yep. OK, yeah. so I, I called him up. I said, congratulations, Scott. Great job. And he says, well, you know, there are only four of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but here's what he's doing. He went to the other side. Yep. He sat with him and talked with him. He said, how can we work together? Right. I know there are only four of us or whatever the number is. I, and I apologize if I have the number wrong. I know there are only a few of us, but how do we work together? How do we help make California better? That's what the Republican Party needs. They need more Scott Wilkes. They need more Scott Wilkes. I think you're right. And in fact, his staff is made up of a diverse range of people with diverse views. He has Democrats on his staff. I think he effectively represents the district for which he's a state senator, I don't think you can necessarily say that about a lot of the Republicans. I've been a very, very, I was very hopeful that Mike Garcia would represent California 25 as diverse as we are, but his votes, his key votes has indicated that he aligns a lot more with the radical right wing than he does with the purple district that he represents. I've been very, I've, candidly, I've been very, very 
uh, critical of his vote on, on January 6th and then the next one on January 7th of keeping Marjorie Taylor Greene on the Education Committee. I think those are votes that he could have found an opportunity to to represent the whole district and not just, you know, again, the screamers on the far, the, the extremists on the far edges of, of, of the Republican Party. Well, I, I, I'm not going to say anything negative about Mike Garcia. He's a friend of mine, and, and, and I, I, I think he's a, a, truly a patriot that wants to, wants to do what's best for, for our country. Uh, one vote here or there. Don't. When you're in political office, you will always take a vote that a bunch, no matter what, what you vote on, no matter when and how many times you vote on something, you know, a, a large percentage of people are going to applaud and a large percentage of people are going to throw bows and arrows at you. That's just the way it is. So, Bill, you were very specific about what's wrong with the Republican Party, which, again, is refreshing to hear from a Republican. And you said that the Democratic Party went too far left, but you aren't very specific about that. I'm curious, what is it about the Democratic Party that you think is too far left? Well, if, if you support defunding the police <laughs> at, at a time when public safety is being threatened all over the place, that's too far. If you support no bail, releasing prisoners, no major crimes, or, or no, no arrests, no prosecutions for major crimes, that's too far left. If, if you support unlimited immigration, let them come across the border and charge into our cities. By the way, who do you think that hurts? Who do you think that hurts when you have unlimited immigration, people coming across the border in, in, in droves? Who do you think that hurts? It hurts the Latino community. Right. It doesn't help the Latino community. Who's going to lose jobs when these other people take jobs? The Latino community. Who's going to have more crime? Because where are these people going to live? You think they're going to live in Beverly Hills? You think they're going to live in Santa Clarita? No. They're going to go to the Latino communities. That's where they're going to go. And they're going to commit their crimes. Those that commit crimes and 90 percent of them, 99 percent of them, pick whatever percent you want, are good people, hardworking people that only want to take your job. I get that. Or 90 percent of 99 percent of them are God fearing, law abiding citizens. But that one percent, where do you think they're going to commit their crimes? In the Latino community. I kind of identify myself as an FD as an FDR style liberal in the 21st century, um, which makes me a Democrat. Um, what I find interesting is that I agree with you on all those issues. And I think most Democrats do. And um, I think the specific issues you picked is a caricature of the most. It, it would be as if. I said every Republican supported January 6th insurrection. It's a caricature. It, it doesn't add adequately. I don't I don't know any Democrat who wants open borders, for example. I know a lot of Democrats who want to treat people humanely before we send them back. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair, Dad. I think that there's there's a lot that, that you covered already, Mayor Bill. The the parties have changed, and I, I think a lot of times the most vocal um, people who know how to use Twitter effectively get attention. 
but they don't necessarily represent the party. I, and I think it's fair to not judge uh, someone like our Congressman Mike Garcia, who, again, I had high hopes for. And don't get me wrong, I have an immense amount of appreciation for his service to the country. Uh, anyone who's willing to put him or herself in harm's way, like you, you know, um, by serving in the military, we have to, I, anyone in their right mind has to be appreciative and respect that willingness to self-sacrifice um, over over many years. It, you know, he wasn't just uh, in for a couple of years, so I really appreciate that. Um, and I also appreciate how hard it is to run a campaign, um, how difficult it is to serve in office. Like you said, you, you're always going to have to cast votes <laughs> that you know, somebody's going to hate, uh, some folks are going to love, but you have to do your job. But I do think those votes, especially pertaining to the election, were every once in a while, there's something central that, you know, you, you might have to break break from your party on that one. Uh, in, in my case, you know, my, my political uh, views are shaped more by the likes of William F. Buckley and Jack Kemp, uh, or nowadays, George Will, David Brooks, uh, folks like that, but I, today's Republican Party, it seems, is is much more dominated by folks who are, to, maybe not by the screamers or the extremists, but certainly by a certain level of anti-partisanship. Um, that a lot of a lot of what is discussed and prioritized is what are. What are all those Democrats doing? And we got to do something different. We got to fight, fight, fight those Democrats. And it seems that that's um, that's shaping a lot of uh, the party right now. Uh, so what does that look like on a local level? A lot of times the conversations that we have are federal issues or even statewide issues. But I wanted to ask you what that looks like on a local level or ideologies, whether it's more liberal and progressive or conservative or uh, libertarian, what is that, what kind of issues come up on the town council that, that you, you'd be discussing among each other? Well, let me, let me answer the first part of your question. Sure. First, I think Cameron Smythe just won his election this past November with something like 55,000 votes, 55,000 votes. Cameron is a Republican. He's been a Republican, I think since, since the beginning of time for him. But Cameron's a smart Republican in that he wants to listen and understand all sides of an issue. And he's open to being persuaded. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Okay. And so, so during the pandemic year, I know he got a lot of press because of his press conferences on, on the pandemic and everything. So he got a little more exposure than, than most council people or most mayors. And that's fine because he did a great job. But during that, he made it very obvious that he was willing to listen to both sides of every issue. And so we don't have aisles, Republican and, and, and Democrat, uh, because it's a nonpartisan position, but we all come from parties. And, and Cameron 
God bless him. He did a great job of working with both sides and listening to all the issues. And so uh, me as mayor, I'm following in Cameron's footsteps the same way. I want to listen to both sides on every issue. I want to give everybody a voice. I want to represent everybody, the entire community. Right. So I'm not just going to follow the noisiest people in the community. Right. I've been threatened with, you know, political harm, political harm, uh, almost from the day I took office. And if you worry about things like that, don't don't apply for any office. Don't don't work any campaign. Don't start running for office because, you know, and and, and maybe I'm deviating a bit and I I apologize for that. But if you're going to run for political political office, you better have some knowledge of what what office you're running for. You better know and understand the issues. You better know the community and the people around where you want to, whatever position you want to get elected to. And you better have thick skin, right? You better have thick skin. If you don't have thick skin, get out of town. Yeah. Now to your, to your point, Bill, the, just in the last couple of weeks, there've been a couple of very big programs, but one, if you didn't know any better, it looks more like a progressive issue. The, the city program that makes um, uh, funds available for rental assistance. That looks more like a quote unquote progressive program. But I know that, that, um, you know, and that was, uh, the vote was unanimous, wasn't it? Well, yeah, but that's a federal grant. Okay. Okay. So so that's not our money. That's the federal government's basically saying to us, we have all this money. Here it is. They sent yeah. the money to us first. Yeah. I don't know if you know that. So, so we have the money sitting in a bank account. We're wondering, okay, what do we do with this? And then they send us the instructions. <laughs> okay. right. This is how, you know, you need to distribute this money if you're going to distribute this money. So that was a no-brainer for us. Yes, it's a progressive program, but it's not our money. And it was in our bank accounts. So all we did is say, okay, we'll distribute it. Was that part of the COVID relief package? Yeah, that's part of the COVID relief package. So now you're a Republican receiving money from a program that no Republican voted for in, in yeah. Congress. Right. Uh, as a mayor, did you support that program? The especially the the part that was assistance to the localities, which was the most controversial part of the package. Well. You know, that, that, that really is a tough question to answer because, you know, it's one point nine million uh, trillion dollars. I mean, did I support that program? No. Right. Did I support the one point three nine trillion dollars? No. Why? Because uh, a relatively small percentage of that went for COVID relief. OK, so, you know, if you give me one point nine trillion dollars, which is incredible incredible amount of money. I don't know if anybody really see we, we have been anesthetized with billions. Now we're slowly making it trillions. So when we were growing up, Ron, it was millions. If you heard the word millions, it was like, oh, my God, that's yeah. like. Do you remember John Bears for Tipton? Do you remember? Do you remember that name? Which one? John Bears for Tipton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the millionaire on the show who gave away a million dollars to people. Right. One million dollars. And everybody went, wow. OK. And and so then it became billion. And so we got it. Now, billion doesn't mean anything to us anymore. It's got to be trillion. 
<laughs> and so here's the problem. They gave away $1.9 trillion. By the way, how do you give away $1.9 trillion? You print more money. <laughs> so they gave away $1.9 trillion to all kinds of whatevers. So am I for that program? Of course not. Am I for helping businesses? Yes. Am I for helping renters? Yes. Am I for uh, protecting uh, homeowners? Yes. So what specific parts of, of that $1.9 trillion were you against? You just well, described you described three things that have nothing to do with COVID that you support in the bill, but you haven't specified. Well, you said that you believe in renters' assistance. You believe in helping small businesses. You believed in something else. Right. They were all part of the COVID package. Two of the three have nothing to do with COVID, or very little to do with COVID. No, 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 it does in the, in the we sense do. that well, okay, no, that's okay. it does in the sense it has everything to do with COVID because look, Dad, I own a business. I own two businesses, one of which is Santa Clarita based uh, and, and is a service business in Santa Clarita. It was very affected by COVID. Once my, the pandemic my, my hit, point was my point was Bill, Bill is against the one point nine trillion, but he just talked about three things that he supported that was in the bill. So I'm yeah, curious. That was in that was in about. And I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but but it was like 30 or 40 percent of the bill somewhere in there, I think, was for covid relief. So I was for the covid relief portion of the bill. Right. I was right. for the rest of it. And then as if they haven't insulted us enough by by taking that one point nine trillion dollars and who knows what's going to happen with the rest of it. They're now asking for two point something trillion dollars more for infrastructure yeah. two point something trillion dollars more for infrastructure where do you think that money's going to go where do you think the money for the for the uh high-speed rail system has gone you remember the high-speed rail system that's still existence that we're still putting money into that originally was going to cost, I think, $20 billion and then $40 billion. And the last count, it was up to $80 billion and counting. And the, and the uh, high-speed rail system is no more than halfway down to where it needs to go. No, no, I, I agree with you in the sense that you have these huge financial packages and there's a lot of boondoggle and has to be. Um, my objection is that politicians will object to the big number. And I haven't heard Republicans talk about specifics that they're opposed to. That's one. Two, they don't put the same kind of microscope on, 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 on the, the defense budget. Now, we've been spending three quarters of a trillion dollars on defense as long as I can remember. Well, well says except, except, except for the second Obama term where uh, that number went down dramatically to three. Well, it was like about 600 billion. It was, yeah, you know, went from seven and a half to, it never went, whatever. I mean, I don't want to get into the weeds with this one, but my point is Republicans never put the, 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 the microscope on the defense department, which has been the biggest boondoggle in American history for as long as I've been politically aware. 
you know, Eisenhower worried about the military industrial complex, right? And we're still, you know, I, I don't get that disconnect. I, want, I don't get I, that at all. I want to bring this back to Santa Clarita real quick um, because there was one recent pretty big accomplishment on the part of the city, Bill, that uh, you guys saved the ice station or now it's being relaunched as the cube. And from what I understand, you did it in a uniquely, in a way that only a true entrepreneur could have creatively put the, could you tell us a little bit about that and all the different pieces that came together and parties that came together together to make this happen? Well, first of all, I'm from the Northeast, which means I ice skate. Yeah. And big Ranger fan. Great. And loved, loved ice hockey, uh, learned to skate at Walman's Rink in Central Park, uh, then skated a lot in Riverdale. Uh, there was one they called the top of the world in the city. I think it was, uh, wasn't that on the lower west side, if I remember correctly, not too far from where the convention center is now? Am I remembering that right, Dad? Well, that's, that's, that's after my time. So, yeah. so I don't know that one. There was a skating ring above the old uh, Madison Square Garden that where we used to go skating all the time. Yeah. Oh my goodness, my goodness. So, so anyway, I learned to skate at Walman's Memorial Rink, and then and then I skated. My kids, I taught them to skate in Riverdale, and uh, and then you know once in a while when we could afford it, we would skate at Rockefeller Center because it was like fantastic to skate there uh, amongst the celebrities, right? Um, then. I came to California and I, I lived near Culver City, so I would go to the Culver Rink and skate there a lot. I'm not a I, I'm not a an exceptional skater by any means, but I, I enjoyed skating. And so we, when we came up here and the ice station uh, came into being, I would skate there. It was wonderful. Well, what I noticed about the ice station is that a lot of people use it. A lot of people use it. So remember, our job is to serve the community and to serve as many members of the community as we can. So when the ice station uh, decided to close because they, they were running out of money and they were, well, there were lots of issues. Uh, the building was was falling slightly apart and, and they were running out of money, not a good combination. So when that issue came before the council, the first thing I said was, we got to save the rink. And I said it out loud. And I even said, no matter what it costs. Now, the cameras didn't pan to the city manager, but <laughs> his heart skipped three beats. Because <laughs> the minute I said, no matter what it costs, he was like, whoa. <laughs> so what we did what we did is, number one, we, we did a survey, uh, an analysis. Uh, what's going on? Who, would, who, who goes to that, to the ice station? And it turns out that the ice station is the second most used city service in the city. Second to bus transportation. Okay. Oh. Okay. So the ice station has more people visiting it in a year than any of our parks, than any of our community centers, than any of our libraries. Well, when you have that, you have to say to yourself, this is the community needs this facility. It needs this facility. It uses this facility. And 
And forget the fact that we had over 12,000 signatures on a petition that, you know, petitions are nice, but that's not that's not what really drove this. But I put on my business hat and because that's my background. And we went and met uh, a few of us in the city, the city manager, uh, I think uh, one other council person. uh, And I basically said, we got to figure out a way to do this. And so how do we make it work? So once we had the statistics, we went and we hired an organization, a consulting organization, a specialist in finding how to run ice rinks. And then they said, if you do all these things, uh, this the ice rink can be uh, a plus to the city in terms of in terms of revenue. Well, I said, I don't care about the revenue part. Forgive me, citizens. I said, <laughs> I don't care about the revenue part. I want to serve the citizens. And if we if if we end up breaking even, hallelujah. Okay. Right, right. And so they came back and they said, well, you, you know, you probably do better than breaking even. Hallelujah. So the cost was $14.2 million to buy it. It's probably between two and $3 million to renovate it completely. And it is... <laughs> I mean, we, it is pretty much a brand new facility, okay? And then the issue became, who's going to run it? Well, we said we put out a bid, and the company that won the bid, ASIC, uh, and the Los Angeles Kings, they won the bid. They are going to run the ice skating part of the uh, uh, of the center uh, of the queue and so so you can't get a better organization right right to run our cube and 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 on top of that we're going to be able to to put a floor down and make a a convention center out of that's great oh terrific yeah some of the most fun uh me and i have three kids and and our my youngest when we had a minor league hockey team there and some of the most fun we've ever had was sitting in the stands rooting for that that hockey team. But, you know, there are so many, to your point, there are so many, you know, speed skaters and hockey players and just figure skaters, figure skaters, you know, and, and then from what I hear, it's going to be a great place, say, for business groups to have their their business meetings, uh, you know, when we can all get together again. But, yeah, you know, you, you, your campaign was all about. Obviously, your top priority keeping the city safe. Santa Cruz is one of the safest cities, but bringing more jobs, um, providing more parks, trails, and public spaces—those were two out of the you know top priorities. In addition to fixing the traffic situation, but just you know creating some jobs and and uh, public spaces—you know that 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 was a big win. That was a big win. So. Well, well, and I and I I thank you for that. I I think it was a big win. I think we have some other things on coming up over the next few years that are very interesting. We have a potential for a, a movie studio coming here with three to 5,000 new jobs. We've opened the Needham Ranch uh, uh, commercial uh, park that's uh, rapidly growing. Uh, we got Amazon uh, has moved in and, and that park is filling up. 
We have Amazon at the Commerce Park, too. Amazon came recently announced that they, they needed two facilities here in Santa Clarita. So we brought them in and the Santa Clarita Valley Economic Development Corporation, you know, gets a, yeah. gets a, a cheers from me uh, and from everybody else, I'm sure, for helping to bring those businesses here. We are a very vibrant community. We are a very growing community. We are economically sound in spite of the COVID uh, pandemic. We, we as a city, and, and when I say we, I'm not talking about just the council. I'm talking about the council, the city staff, and the citizens. We've all worked together to make this a great place to raise a family. And, one, and the things that make this a great place to, make, to raise a family are, are arts and entertainment cultural events, public safety, that you care about your seniors, you care about your children, you care about your veterans, you care for the homeless. All those things are what make this place a great place to raise a family. Yeah. yeah. And we will fight against anything that tries to disrupt that because, you know, we moved here from places that we didn't really want to live in. That's why we moved here to raise our families, right? So, so if you come here, let's just throw out this this little example. You you come here from a place uh, that's not especially safe. That's not especially a good place to raise a family. You come here to raise a family. Why would you then want to make it like the place you came from? Yeah. No. Right. Enjoy what you have here. Don't try and change us. You know, we're, we're, we're changing as it is. We're evolving as it is. We're becoming more cultural centric. We're, we're acknowledging that we're a multicultural society, something that frankly hasn't always been acknowledged here in Santa Clarita. Uh, you know, Ron, you and I grew up in a melting pot, right? That was, that was that what it was called, the melting pot. Why was it a melting pot? Because you know what? We all came from different places. We all, we all acknowledged our cultures, but at the same time, we knew we had to work together and be one. New Yorkers are one, okay? And yeah. so, so same thing here in Santa Clarita. We have to understand we have differences. We have different cultures. We're a melting pot here in Santa Clarita. We're one. Now, are we completely there yet? No. Bill, can I put in a request for something? Yes. <laughs> Bring in a kosher deli. We need a kosher deli in Santa Clarita. You know. <laughs> we, I can't get good corned beef in Santa Clarita. No, you can't. No, you can't. And neither can I. And I love corned beef. Okay. Uh, but, I, but I have to tell you, you know, we we have bagels. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, something you call bagels. Right, right. That requires the New York water to, to make the New York bagels. But I know Bill, Bill's Bill got to get out of here. He's got a city you know, to run. You know, Corey, Corey, and I do have to get out of here, but I got to tell you something. The water, you just touched on the key. That's the key. That's the and key. And that's why we don't have the greatest pizza in the world. The so water. I have one last question and one very important piece of business. The last question is, do you have any questions for me and my dad? For your dad, Ronald, come on, man. Cut the cord. 
cut the cord, <laughs> full time, Santa Clarita. What is this back and forth to Brooklyn? You Seriously. Know? <laughs> I'm, out of, I'm out of Brooklyn. I'm in the lower Hudson Valley now. It's um, it's well, where really, are you in the Hudson Valley? Uh, outside of Monroe, Greenwood Lake, New York. Warwick, New York. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's 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 gorgeous. It's kind of think of Bear Mountain. We're about no, 10 no, minutes. No, no, no. I know the area. My my sister lives in Nanuet, New York. In oh, well, yeah. There, she's a neighbor. Yeah. OK. It's I, I agree with you. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Cut the cord. Cut the cord. I'll take you to I'll take you to uh, uh, Big Bear. There you go. After meeting you for just uh, 45 minutes, I'm ready to become a local Republican. <laughs> so last very important piece of business you support the boys and girls club uh, would you like yes. to tell us a little bit about that yeah the boys and girls club has been very active here helping help helping kids uh boys and girls and and of course their parents uh they pick up kids after school so working parents can sign up and and the cost is minimal in fact, the reason they charge is just I don't even know why. But I mean, I remember when for 20 bucks, you got a month's worth of daily pickups of your kid. 20 bucks. Come on. Wow. I don't know yeah. what it is now, yeah. but working, working mothers, working fathers now, uh, they can drop their kids off in the morning at school and go to work. And as long as they pick up the kids, I think it's before 6 p.m., uh, their kids get picked up by Boys and Girls Club buses at school, taken to the Boys and Girls Club where they learn things, they get to recreate properly, they get to feel safe, and, and they get something to eat. Uh, it's a wonderful place. And it was run, it was run for years by my good friend Jim Ventress and and now Matt. Uh, Runs it. He's a young man that's just fantastic. Uh, has a heart as big as gold. Uh, I tell Jim Ventress that that he chose the right person. Not that not that he was the only one that chose him, but he chose the right person for the job. Uh, Boys and Girls Club helps a lot of families, uh, and frankly, many of those families are Latino families here in Santa Clarita, and we support them one hundred percent. And that's scvbgc.org, scvbgc.org. Mayor Bill, what a pleasure to hang out with you. I can't wait to hang out with you in person. Hopefully we'll get Let's those concerts it. on Town Center Drive going again. And uh, yeah, thanks again, man, for spending the time. It's great to see you. Great meeting you, Bill. Thank you, Corey. And thank you, Ronald. Take care and say hi to the Hudson Valley for me. I will. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. If you appreciate what you've heard here, please go to iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and leave a review. That really helps move us up the chart so others can find out what we're up to here. For Ronnie Nathan, I'm Corey Nathan, and we've been talking politics and religion without killing each other. We'll be back in a few days to do our little part in Tikkun Olam. <laughs>